Welcome to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. I'm Drew Carpenter, your host on the podcast for all kinds of ministers and other followers of Jesus who work in relative obscurity. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Tim Amor. Tim and his wife, Jen, serve at Summit Street Mennonite Church in Beatrice, Nebraska. They moved there in 2015 from Buffalo, New York. Tim is originally from the Toronto area of Canada. Enjoys playing board games, watching Netflix, cheering on the Toronto Raptors and the Toronto Blue Jays, and spending time with his cat, Agatha. Tim likes good coffee, nerdy theology books, yay, Star Wars, Yay, pizza and the Toronto Blue Jays and more pizza. Doesn't like bears or cold sandwiches. I can't really blame him for either one of those. So, Tim, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. Well, why did you agree to come on the Obscure Pastor podcast? Do you consider yourself to be obscure? So, uh, I, I don't really consider myself to be anything. I, I listened to a few of these other podcasts, and what was funny to me is as people were talking about being obscure. So we all talk about what other people said, but this, you know, I was talking to the other staff at my church. They were excited. I was on a podcast about being obscure, and I was like, "You have, you have other staff at your church? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Look at this fancy big time pastors you got coming on here." <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, you know, whatever is not quite yet of the highest level of obscurity, like whatever's a little bit below there is probably where I rank. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Uh, so Tim and I know each other only really through Twitter and our meeting today through zoom. So, uh, yeah, this is, we're both fairly obscure. We didn't know about each other, but social media kind of brings people together and tears people apart too. So, um, again, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you doing this in my notes. You mentioned a move from kind of Anna, or from Baptist evangelical world to more of a Anabaptist Mennonite denomination or kind of a theology philosophy. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. What, why'd that happen? Why did it need to happen? Uh, sure. So I, I grew up in a bit more of a fundamentalist Baptist background, which was fine and also very weird. There's a lot of people online and things like called the evangelical community and stuff like that. And as they talk about things like deconstruction and all these words that I didn't have at the time, it's very interesting to kind of look at it kind of in reverse as to what I went through. But um, I'm a multiple award-winning Awana kid. So yeah, for that, I did win the Timothy Award, my my namesake. So I made sure I I still have my t-shirt from Awana Scholarship Camp. So it, it was really... You know, I was given the Bible in, in heavy doses growing up. We had a good youth group. We had a, you know, it was a nice enough church. And then uh, just the, the holding on to Jesus kind of thing started shifting a bit for me. And I, I was reading through some of the Gospels, particularly I think it was Luke at the time. And I was like, you know, Jesus sure sounds like, like a leftist hippie to me. <laughs> mm. And I was like, oh, no. Like if Jesus is to the left of me, then I'm, I'm really the left. Like I'm really the... Uh, <laughs> the non-conservative one anymore. There's no points for being more conservative or more liberal than Jesus. It's all just wrong mm. uh, <laughs> from my very narrow perspectives and stuff. So trying to follow that narrow way. And then I, I came across the writing of Shane Claiborne in the Irresistible Revolution. Mm-hmm. And that was really the first time in reading that, I, all of those thoughts and those, those feelings I was having were put into words. And you know that you know, I'm not the only one 
thinks this. This is amazing. There's other people who think these things. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is right. And so it was very much a spiritual transformation. Uh, Mennonites love this story because they love, or Anabaptists in general, they love hearing about how someone became an Anabaptist. Oh yeah, they chose us. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't really, I didn't really choose that. It's more that something, again, spiritually happened and I, I started shifting and, and delving back into the Bible and to what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, yeah, e- even when I finished seminary, I went to a, a Baptist seminary uh, at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, a great little seminary there. But I, it, it was in relationship with some Mennonite uh, groups. And so there were some Mennonite pastors studying alongside me. And this would have been a good decade into my transformation already, you know, this, this slow process of changing. Uh, and I was talking with one of them, we became friends, and, and he said, you know, Tim, I think you're more Mennonite than I am. I was like, oh, that's weird. You know, I, I like beards. I like hats. I hate horses. But tell me more. Like, what's, what's this Mennonite stuff? And, you know, I kind of only heard of it a little bit. I, I didn't know about modern Mennonites, really. I just thought it was all, like, Amish, you know, funny hats and beards and stuff. So that was kind of a starting point, And I got really into some of the history, looking into it, trying to figure out if I was a fit. And even when I started applying for churches on my way out of seminary, I, I didn't only apply to Anabaptist. I, I figured I had a, a pretty wide breadth that I could fit in uh, until I discovered that that actually wasn't the case. And, and for my wife and I, when we read, uh, I mean, your, your background is in the, the Brethren in Christ. Or, are they still called that in the U.S.? Yes, yeah, Brethren in Christ USA. You're not, you're not the be in Christ of Canada yet? <laughs> no, right. And so, and we are, and I've only been... This is, I'm in my, I, I came into the BIC in 2016. And so I was Southern Baptist or at least in um, the denomination I served in, but the um, churches I served in wouldn't necessarily have Southern Baptist in their name. So yeah, all non-denominational churches are really just secret Southern Baptist. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of them down South, especially it seems to be that way. That, that, so some of my background is in church planting with the Southern Baptists back in Ontario or in Canada. And it's very interesting because once you cross the border, everything is so different in denominations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Southern Baptist church planters are very open and free to allow things to be expressed in ways that I think the Southern Baptists in the Deep South who helped fund them would be horrified to find out. <laughs> but that's why it's effective, right? They allow it to, to express in those areas. And yeah, so the, it was kind of weird and trying to apply and find a place and, and reading over the statements from the BIC, from uh, the Mennonites and different kind of Anabaptist organizations. It was, it was more like, Oh, I, I already agree with all of this. I don't have to have any like, major red flags. Or I don't have to explain away some of the things. And it, you know, it's hard finding a place to fit, especially when we're talking about vocationally or professionally. Uh, so that my joke was always, I ended up with the Mennonites because they were the least likely to fire me quickly. Ah. And that has so far proven true. So that's, that's good. That's, that's funny. Well, you know, you say that, I mean, the, the BIC conference has um, these 10 kind of core values. And as I was interviewing, they presented these 10 values and I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. This sounds, this is, this feels like where I've, I'm, I've, I should be. And kind of similar to you, I remember reading that um, irresistible revolution and, um, and then Jesus for president and kind of just following 
Shane Claiborne. And that was pretty early on, I guess, for his where as far as where he was is now compared to then. But yeah, th- those things that I was looking at back then and when I was serving in these pretty good sized evangelical churches were really kind of rocking my world and making me rethink of all the all the different perspectives that I had grown up with and kind of pulled into my Christian walk that weren't necessarily moving me along to be more like Christ. And so that was, yeah, I, I really resonate with, um, with that. I didn't come into it on purpose back then, but it definitely helped me just have a wider perspective on what Christ is trying to do in the world. So. And it, it really felt overwhelming at first, like trying to figure out where to start. How do we start living justly? How do we start doing those things? How do I, I, how do I even buy shoes that aren't made in a sweatshop? You know, like those like little steps, like how do you start when, when, when there weren't those options the, the irresistible revolution is now over 20 years old as a book, right? Which seems crazy, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it, it really, that, that was a bit of a starting point to, uh, to again, to, to connecting to these things I was already reading in the gospels and starting to be challenged by, well, if, if my politics or if my, if who I am and my, the way I approach things, if that's what I consider to be kind of more of a conservative Orthodox Christian, but Jesus looks a lot different than me, then what am I? <laughs> yeah. Very good. Well, so you, you're in the middle of a pre COVID you were got, you guys are, trying to do like a relaunch of your church. Is that my, I don't know if I'm using the right word for that, but is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're making things up as we go. It could be whatever okay. word, relaunch, rebirth, three. So we are still right now Beatrice Mennonite church in the process of becoming summit street church. Uh, yeah. And it's its own weird thing. We were going to relaunch on Easter. And uh, some of you may have heard of this thing called a pandemic which just surprise <laughs> changed mm-hmm. all of the plans. And, and that's not bad or good. It's just, it's really shifted uh, the way we've had to approach things. I mean, that everyone's approached everything. <laughs> right. Sure. But, uh, so now our, our circled in pencil relaunch date is Easter 2021. But even then, who knows? Right. So that will be a full year later. <laughs> Instead of being closed for like a month or two mm-hmm. and then reopening, we'll, be, we'll have a full year between doing something new. Um, and we're, we're actually in conversations with uh, another local church that's a brethren church, and they're thinking about joining us in this, this relaunch and trying this new thing. So right. that wouldn't have happened without the COVID-19 stuff, but um, and just trying to do the best we can to be faithful in what uh, the Spirit calls us to. And, but yeah, it is weird. Right. <laughs> so what are you, so what, wh- how are you gathering meeting? Um, how are you connecting with your folks right now during COVID? So I, I'm into trying to follow some of the harder numbers and letting that move us. So I try to follow the, the rolling seven day average out of a hundred thousand people, like how many people are testing positive. So we decided we could start meeting in person carefully when our numbers stayed steadily around five or under and that's still not great, but that's okay. Okay. Um, So then a couple of weeks ago, as we started doing things with the, with the brethren church, we started meeting together. 
we actually switched meeting only outdoors because the COVID numbers have spiked here. Uh, and so now we're at a place where we'll probably have to switch to meeting remotely again, either on, on Facebook Live or whatever we choose to do next because our numbers have hopped over 30. That's really high. <laughs> but we, you know, we have to take care of our people and, and make wise decisions. And I, I really do think that if people were to come here and get sick and pass that around, I, I think it's fair to say that that's my fault. Right? Like I, I'm making the end decisions on this. Or our leadership is making that. And we need to be aware of our responsibility to care for them and to set things up in a safe way. So we're, we're probably, it'll be warm enough for us to meet outdoors probably through to the 18th. And then after that, I, I'm not sure what we'll do. Probably, we'll probably switch to virtual again. Right. Well, and we keep, we, we're having the same kind of dis- conversations. We met inside for about two weeks back in July and then things started ticking back up. And so we went back, <laughs> we went back outside and we have a parking lot and we met outside and it's cool enough in the summer that you do it before a certain amount of time, for a certain time of the day and you're okay. But we're going to, yeah, we're going to have to go, we're going inside here in a few weeks and um, we'll see how that goes because I mean, our schools are open. Lots of stuff is open here in Pennsylvania now. And, um, but yeah, we want to be cautious and we want, we're going to have people wearing masks and socially distancing and all those types of things. It's just, it's hard to, it's hard to do that. It's hard to really connect, but it's important to bring people together <laughs> too. And, it, so. and I mean, from, I'm not sure if it's the same way in the BIC. I, I think it is in a lot of ways, but for Anabaptists, they, we like to pretend that we don't have any creeds that we follow. But the truth is that our hymnals probably are our creed books. So not being able to sing is a, a major setback <laughs> in mm. a lot of ways. And so that's, that's part of the balance, too, is um, this last week we, we were singing outside because I figured outside was safe enough. Most people are wearing masks. But then as the numbers keep spiking upward at, at some point, we have to be additionally cautious. And Yeah, I don't know. I, if we were under a 10 which is still not great. But if we were under a 10, I think I would be comfortable meeting indoors with masks and, and the distancing. But yeah, yeah. So I, I'm from the Toronto area and everyone there was having a bit of a panic because they had a, a one-day spike that was higher than they've ever had before. And their, their spike number, which has everyone worried, is five. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so Perspective, yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's good to see what's happening in other parts of the world, but yeah, that that was a bit of a a wake up call for me. Like, oh, that's really bad for them. I, I thought it would be more similar to here, I guess. Mm, yeah. Aside from pandemics and things like that, what are some of the challenges you faced um, in ministry, whether that's back at Buffalo or whether that's in Nebraska? Well, I I have to at least note that I this is cross cultural ministry for me. I think Buffalo is very much like Canada. I mean, they, they even have Canadian beers uh, there. Uh, I'm not sure if the BIC in America are allowed to enjoy that, but in, in Canada we were. So, uh, but I mean, it, so it's, it was still a lot of ways similar, but the American culture was already very different. And then even going from Buffalo to the Midwest here in Nebraska, um, it's an entirely different world. Mm-hmm. And I have to be aware of that, but I also have to be aware that, uh, so Americans don't like hearing bad things about America from immigrants. <laughs> my, 
right? So like there's the pastor at the, the other Mennonite church in town, uh, we were friends. He, he's retired to go to the farm at, at the young age of not quite 40. Wow. Uh, do something different for a bit. But uh, he did a series where he had, he had a, uh, a message called Make Jerusalem Great Again. Like I would be driven out of town <laughs> if I called a, a message, Make Jerusalem Great Again like playing off the political stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Like I just, so I can talk about things from a Canadian perspective and what happens there, but be very cautious here that the nationalism infiltrating churches as part of this civic religion is even more so than I suspected, mm-hmm. I would say. And it's this confusing mix. We, we have a, a whole bunch of churches in our little town. We're, we have about 12,000 people here, probably 30-ish churches. And for the most part, I am unbelievably impressed of, by the quality of people that the pastors are. Like they, we are just served by fantastic groups from Catholic to Methodist to Lutheran across the spectrum. Um, but there's still a few churches, and sometimes they're the larger churches, where it's very much so more nationalistic, more uh, America first kind of things. And I, to me, that's not the kingdom of God. And to me, in a lot of ways, the, the mission field for us as Christians in America, it will very much be churches and people sometimes leaving churches. I mean, when we look at people leaving church from a fundamentalist background, well, they never really had the right faith. No, they didn't. It wasn't strong enough. But, but here, and very much so, in maybe even those fundamentalist churches I, I grew up at, leaving the church is actually a step towards Jesus. And I don't think people always know that. And in the same way, maybe you and I kind of felt like, oh, are we going through this on our own? Are we thinking these, does anyone else think this? Am I crazy? A lot of people feel alone, like they're the only ones who are having these, these Anabaptish kind of feelings and thoughts. And uh, I think it's important to try and make those connections and reach out and let them know that this, is, this goes long before Anabaptism, <laughs> this type of kingdom mindset. Uh, you know, all to Jesus, I surrender. What, what does that look like? And, and how, do we, how do we get out of the trappings of the, the empire in the midst of all this? And it, it's confusing. It's hard. But, and, and maybe more so, so in Canada, we have multiple political parties, and everything's across a spectrum. And I wonder if in America, part of the challenge comes because we have a binary system of two parties. So there's this one that's on the left and this one that's on the right, kind of. Both are kind of somewhere on there. And so the thought is, well, is Jesus on the left with that left party or is he on the right with that right party? Or maybe he's in the middle. Maybe, maybe the right spot is to be in the middle so that both people on the left and the right are upset with me. And, <laughs> and there's a lot, of kind of, a lot of people kind of celebrate that. Oh, I make liberals upset and conservatives upset. And, and that's not the way of Jesus. It's not right. that binary. It's not that the third way isn't this happy middle ground. It's following Jesus. Jesus takes sides. Will we take sides with Jesus? How do, what does that look like? It'll, be, it'll confound the American political spectrum, but, um, but it doesn't just make both sides suddenly this equal and the middle this way of Jesus. And, and his call is to follow me, right? Follow Jesus. Yeah. Not whoever's occupying the White House or yeah, any other... You know, give to Caesar what's Caesar, and give to the Lord what's the Lord's, right? And the Im- the image, is made. Yeah, the yeah, image. the image. <laughs> yeah, you're made in God's image, not Caesar's image. This coin, he can have that, whatever. But 
you're what, you're made and even that uh, even that coin has the image of god on it right even caesar needs your prayers because he's not god hmm. a, a good too often we we continue to render too much to caesar you know give to god what's god's everything belongs to right. god i still pay my taxes even without representation i don't dump any tea in any water areas <laughs> or anything i don't make a fuss on that but um you know that that's really what we give to caesar is our none of our love i i wonder if we forget that a a good caesar is better than a bad caesar a bad caesar caesar is better than a terrible caesar but they'll always be caesar mm. and that's that's hard right because we in the same way we cheer for sports teams and we get attached to this um you know, wearing the right set of laundry as some people call it we, we kind of get stuck cheering this type of political spectrum or whichever our parties we prefer. And then it, it becomes very hard to see things rationally. Like the Toronto Raptors won last year. They were the, the world champions. They're fantastic. And they won in spite of the referees always conspiring against them <laughs> to make an American team win. And if you watch the playoffs this year, if you look at the free throws, you can make a pretty easy argument that the only reason they didn't move on is because they didn't get the same calls that the Boston Celtics made. And so they were cheated out of it. And but believe me, I, I have a completely neutral perspective <laughs> when I watch. The game, right. right? <laughs> well, you mentioned um, also that you like uh, nerdy theology books. And I always, I, I like to ask folks, you know, what inspires you? And so maybe we can tie those two in together. What's something that inspires you when things are, they're difficult or just you need to go to a well to be refreshed. Yeah, so what I like about that bio is we wrote that like right around when we first came here. So this is my first time in a pastor role. Like I've been in parachurch ministries. I, I volunteered. Um, the, the reason we came to Nebraska, a part of it was because this is one of the only churches that wanted me as, as pastor, as lead pastor, not as their the worship pastor or not as their youth guy to work your way up, you know, spend time with the, the junior high, then the senior high, then eventually you can work with adults. Um, so it, it, it was interesting. And so I was very excited and I, coming right from seminary, I, you know, you read a lot, but I think I really slowed down on that. Um, one of the things that was suggested for us, and maybe you guys have that suggested in your denomination too, is to go to a, uh, oh, I can't even think what it's called, a spiritual advisor, okay. um, which is as close to counseling as you can get an ex-fundamentalist maybe to go. Okay. But uh, so spiritual advisor is someone who just helps care for your, your soul and you have these conversations. And so I started meeting with one uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago. We were talking and I, I just can't, I just can't read like I used to. And part of me for, for faith, the way I would describe faith, like the important things are prayer, spend time in the Bible, spend time reading these other books. Like that's like part of like the foundation of, of my, my background. And, and she just told me, well, maybe this is a season where you won't read. And that's okay. Um, so I am still reading some things. It's just I'm trying to spend more time slowing down. Right. Maybe more time in, in silence, more time in just being as opposed to knowing the right things. Gotcha. I always like to ask, who's your favorite musical artist? And maybe you can say, who's your favorite Canadian music artist? And who's your favorite artist? Well, those would always be the same thing, right? Okay. That's well, how it go. goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe not. You know, it's, it's that weird thing where as 
you know, some things change, some things don't. But my favorite song, my favorite artist, my favorite movie or book, those things kind of change a little bit here and there over time. Whereas uh, I've been fortunate to have some good friends that haven't changed, but, you know, that we've been able to stay in contact. But it, I would say that's hard to say right now. Judging by what I purchase, it is, in fact, an American band that uh, would be my favorite right now. So that's probably um, Vampire Weekend. I do uh, really enjoy their music. Yeah. But uh, how can you pick just one Canadian as your favorite? And, I mean, Canada has so many, uh, so many great musical acts up there. Are you talking like Celine Dion? What are you talking about? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. No, so the, there's a weird thing in Canada. There's two things in Canada. Well, there, there'll be three here. So one national kind of Canadian pastime, and if you meet any Canadians, you can ask them this and they'll be able to respond is knowing who's Canadian and who's famous as a Canadian. Like that's a thing for some reason that's like drilled into us. So okay. it'll be something will go on the radio. Like we'll be like walking at a store back when you could go to stores. And then, you know, my wife will be talking and all of a sudden I'll stop. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. She's like, what's that? I'm like Canadian content here. Yeah, they're playing a Canadian song on the, <laughs> on the store. And it's, it's infuriating, but this is like a very Canadian thing to do. Um, and so there are two things. Is there like an out. inferiority complex or something or what do you, what, what, tell me about that. Well, I think there's a little bit where like we're viewed as America's funny little hat. And so there's a little bit of a pushback <laughs> on that. Like whatever happens in America happens in Canada. Like when, when America started putting out even more flags, like when I grew up, there were no flags anywhere in Canada, but now on the street I grew up on, there's like two or three okay. Canadian flags. Like that never, that was never there. So it always ends up kind of mirroring its way over, but. Uh, I would say it's probably more of a superiority <laughs> complex. <laughs> like, look at those Americans. Guys, yeah. We're not like them. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> like, see that, see that sinner. Thank you for not making me like him. God, I, uh, <laughs> for making me so righteous. No, I, there, there is this weird thing where there's a, a higher than normal percentage of Canadians end up in the arts, like end up as musicians. And the other weird thing is uh, a much higher percentage than normal of Canadians compared to other countries end up left-handed. It's a hockey playing society where there weren't enough left-handed shots. Uh, so I think you're encouraged, but I mean like you can get golf clubs, guitars, you can get anything left-handed almost everywhere in Canada. <laughs> hmm. oh, I'm, yeah. I'm right-handed, but so a problem in the national hockey league is there aren't enough good defensemen who shoot right-handed. Too many shoot left-handed because when, when people were kids, their dads would be like, no, 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 left-handed. There's not enough left-handed shots. And now there's all these lefties and not enough rights. Huh? Isn't that <laughs> weird? It's just this weird thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I didn't get an artist out of you though. I said Celine Dion. I think she's Canadian. I, I don't want to land that in your. Yeah. Why? Well, I would never slander any Canadian artist. Uh, even. <laughs> Even Celine on that. Yeah, the, the Tragically Hip is a classic Canadian act okay. that not a lot of people know. Um, okay. There's a song, Ahead by a Century, uh, which is kind of an easygoing song, but I, I just love the lyrics in that. Uh, so rain falls in real time. Rain fell through the night. No dress rehearsal. This is our life. <laughs> anyway, so they're, they're kind of like the, the quintessential Canadiana act and the uh the lead singer actually passed away just about a year or so ago mm. um but yeah so they're and, and they're okay they're good i like the bare naked ladies oh yeah we love them too and mm. there's and yeah, there's so many great canadian acts how, how can you pick just one uh walk off the earth if you haven't seen any of their stuff they're from my hometown of burlington okay and 
They're the ones who, if you saw way, way back, they did that Gauthier song, All on One Guitar, uh, somebody that I used to know. So they, all of their videos of, of covers and their own stuff is super creative. And, and I've seen them live, and they're unbelievably good live. Awesome. Uh, one of these days when we go see live music again. Yeah, yeah if that ever happens. Yeah. Hey, so I, I saw this movie the other day, and I wanted to, to bring this quote because I, I was trying to think about the things I would say on your podcast. And I think, so this is by Keanu Reeves in a movie called Always Be My Maybe on Netflix. And Keanu Reeves is playing the character Keanu Reeves at the time. Okay. Uh, over the top version. And he's, he's really into, he's meeting this other person who's a nobody. And, and this is what he says. See, that right there is what it's all about. Laboring in obscurity, starving and struggling. The man who embraces his mediocre nothingness shines greater than any. <laughs> wow. I love it. I'll have to check that out. Always be my maybe. Right? Uh, for those, uh, depending on your, uh, your feelings about rated R movies and such, maybe don't. But, but oh, also yeah. maybe do. It depends on, on where we are on the spectrum. What are some things that people know about you that not very many people know? When we first moved here, this came up as this weird thing I did when I was younger. And people were super excited about it. In fact, they would introduce me by this before saying I was their pastor. And that is, I used to race go-karts at a pretty high level. <laughs> oh. Like little tiny go-karts, like I, we had our own. They, they went 70 miles an hour, so really wow. fast. Wow. With your, your butt an inch off the ground. But I, I raced in the, the American circuit, like these national races. And I'm the right age to have raced against Danica Patrick. So I, I knew huh. Danica Patrick as someone I raced against. I think she always beat me. <laughs> but we were, you yeah. know, we were competitors and other stuff. And she, she's shorter than you'd think. And she was never nice, in case you're wondering. <laughs> she's super she, competitive, I'm sure. I mean, that's just kind of goes like with I was it. friendly. I, I talked to everybody else. I, I finished once fifth and she was fourth. And I like, talked to everybody else there and she didn't say a word to me. Uh, but in, in fairness, she was also very good looking. So there weren't that many women racing. So I'm sure that she got a lot of grief. Sure. Okay. But yeah, people here are really excited. Oh, yeah. oh, did you know he raced against Danica Patrick? Oh, that's great. He's got to tell him. Oh, like, oh well, he's, he's also our pastor. But, but <laughs> back to racing. Oh, man. That's NASCAR. awesome. That's funny. Um, well, so if you want to be found, how do people find you? I mean, I found you on Twitter, but... Are you active on Instagram, Facebook? What's the best place? Yeah, probably just Twitter. I, I'm very cautious of everything I post online. So I'm, my Facebook, I mean, if you look me up, I, I, I post everything publicly. I don't hide anything, but I'm just so boring. <laughs> so desperately, terribly boring. Uh, on, on, the, on Twitter, maybe I'm a little bit more free, but even on that, I, I really waded in slowly, and I've been very cautious in that. I went back. I liked a tweet today that maybe had some political or partisan political thing to it. And I went back and unliked it just because I'm trying to keep myself clear online of any American partisan politics. And, and that's kind of dumb, but that's just where we're at. I, you can't survive as a pastor in the Midwest uh, when you have a congregation that's very diver diverse for an area here uh, without being cautious on that. So uh, that would be Tim A. Amor. That's my handle on, on Twitter. T I M A for my middle name, A-M-O-R, because there's another Tim Amor who got there ahead of me, and he sometimes gets stuff mixed up with my email. So he, act he actually, he lives in England. He accidentally emailed me. He was trying to email it to himself, 
uh, like all of his CV stuff, like his, uh, his resume as he was yeah. applying for work. So I had to get back to him. I was like, Hey, I think you're accidentally emailing me your private stuff. And uh, so now I, he follows me on Twitter and it turns out that he is from a Quaker background over in oh. England. So that's whenever, whenever he likes one of my tweets, that is the most satisfaction I get out of anything online. <laughs> this weird connection with this other Tim Amor. Yeah, that's very cool. That's fun. That's, uh, that can be one of those things that not very many people know about you either, too. So anyways, um, do you have anything else you'd like to add or say before we bring a wrap to this episode? Sure. Just it is a difficult time. It's okay to feel down. It's okay to feel worried. It's okay to be angry. Uh, but as much as we can, let's just hold on tightly to Jesus. And, and if we do that, if we, if we go to the left or to the right a little bit, as long as we're holding on to his sandals, we'll be probably closer to the right path. Uh, I always tell my congregation, if you hear anyone on the radio or on TV talking about Jesus, or maybe even on podcasts, you should probably ignore everything they said. And I'm on the radio here the fourth Sunday of every month. So maybe anything you heard today, you should just ignore because <laughs> it came from me. <laughs> You've been listening to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend. Subscribe today and sign up at obscurepastor.com for my brief weekly e-letter. It's a dose of encouragement and inspiration. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Carpenter. So let's be friends.